This is Mouth Media Network. Amplify and connect. Hi, I'm Garrett Light. I am the founder, CEO, and creative director of Garrett Light California Optical. Retail is my business, and what I love about retail is human interaction. I just love being able to disarm a consumer and understand what they're looking for and really just have that personal experience with humans. Can a focus on physical retail create a competitive edge, swimming upstream in a retail business that is moving primarily toward online? Garrett Late's designer eyewear brand has placed this bet, and it's working well. He deconstructed today's usual model by starting with brick-and-mortar retail first with an e-commerce play that follows. Coming up, why hiring for longevity is a key to creating great in-store experience, the value of great product design and a place to showcase it, evaluating ideal locations for a brand's physical presence, and strategizing what's next. And strategizing what's next. From New York City, you're listening to Retail is Your Business, covering the intersection of innovation and business in the retail industry. My name is Rebecca Fitz. Welcome to Retail is Your Business. I'm delighted to be here today with Garrett. Welcome. Hi. Thank you for having me. Thanks for coming in. Um, so I thought we'd uh, jump right in. Um, some people may know your story. Some people may not. But why eyewear? How did you get involved in this crazy business? Yeah, I think, well, eyewear pretty much chose me. Um, my family was in the industry um, is in the industry. My mother and father founded Oliver Peoples in 1986. And, um, you know, I had a regular childhood in terms of like, I wasn't obsessed with eyewear or fashion. I was an athlete and into music and I went to college for tennis and journalism and didn't know that I wanted to get into it. But after college, I decided to work at the company and my dad had sold it. And, um, I just kind of fell in love with his with the business, there was such a family atmosphere that was changing because they had just sold to Oakley and subsequently Luxottica. But there was still this like core group of people that really had such a profound respect for my dad and they were so loyal and it seemed like they loved their job. And I just didn't know it at the time that I was an entrepreneur, but that was what I was thirsty for. So that's how I got into eyewear. Um, and I sort of, I guess, reverse engineered their business um, and created my own. Excellent. And when you say reverse engineer, talk to us a little bit about that. How did it start? Sure. It was really awkward at first, um, just in the sense <laughs> You're that, like, let me be honest here. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, they had a CEO that I think and it is what it is. He had a huge job and a lot of weight on his shoulders with that new Oakley Luxottica merger. And, you know, the owner's son coming in probably to him was just like, oh, no, what's this kid going to be? And kind of just it was more like, here's, you know, your salary and just do whatever you want. And I did whatever I wanted and that started in merchandising and then that moved into like um, sun division sales, which is just like a wholesale for fashion accounts. Um, and then that moved into they, – they hired this guy that I really like started to mentor for marketing for a smaller brand that they had called Mosley Tribes. Um, and so it was marketing and that was so cl closely connected to design. 
that's when I started to work under with my dad in design and learn that. And then when I felt like I had understood the business from sort of those f- elements and um, operationally, I felt like the final, that's when I started to formulate my idea of creating my own thing. And just coming from the all over people's background, it had to be a retail store. That was just, I was like, I don't know. That's what they did. That's what I want to do. So I helped them open their Malibu store in 2008. Um, and I was there for the first year. And that was, it just felt like that was the process. I was re- reverse engineering each channel of the business and le- learning it and then reverse engineering it. Um, the only thing I didn't learn was the development side. I never went to any factories. So my first business before mine was like a private label eyewear manufacturing business where I made glasses for a handful of brands. And that's when I got my manufacturing, do, yeah, manufacturing and I traveled to factories. So I didn't do that with other people. Is that, and that's where like, that was, that was uh, grad school. That's where I lost a little bit of money and <laughs> gained a ton of experience. <laughs> right. <laughs> and um, then I opened my retail store, not selling Garrett Light, selling other brands and working in the store every single day while simultaneously building out my collection and then launching that about a year later after opening the store in 2009. So it's interesting in that you're really so attracted to the physical retail store, and that's kind of where where you come from. Um, what did you learn in the, the first round of having your retail store, mixed brands and, and then your own? Well, my first retail experience was Oliver People's retail store. And I think what I learned there was just engaging with various personalities and sort of figuring out what it was that people were looking for. I wear such a personal thing, you know, it goes on your face. It can so significantly affect your style. So you're sort of like a personal stylist for these people that, you know, 50% of them have their own take and they're a lot easier to work with. And then the other 50% are very nervous about trying things and they come in with an idea that they don't look good because people have told them that they don't look good in glasses or, you know, they need some sort of, um, you know, they need their significant other to say that it looks good. And, just that that challenge that challenge to me was just I was just such I, I guess I was a natural and I just loved it I really really enjoyed this product and that experience and doing it in a retail setting of course at all over people's you know they knew what they you know it was nice because that was built in they knew they were going to like this expertise place so the expectation was high I think then I had to educate when I opened my store. They didn't know what they were looking. You know, they didn't know it was Abbott Kinney. It was very popular street, tons yeah. of foot traffic. So that wasn't an issue. But there was just a much longer education process. But I would usually close the sale on the first meeting. It's just this girl that I hired who still works with me, Elena. She's my design director. She would just make a joke that like my I like I she had a nickname and I don't remember. But my customers would say for like two hours. Yeah, I would I, just keep them there forever. Right. The and you need time. I needed multiple people in the store because I couldn't. I could work with multiple people at a time, but like I would be like handling all these people for like hours at a time where, so my sales probably weren't as much as the people that like that I've had that can pump them out and like still achieve that. But like, I just, I just was, I was like the long, I wanted to tell the whole story and really, and get to know them and listen. I just enjoy that. I enjoy, I enjoy that in that setting. It's so interesting because it is so, so personal. Um, I do think that eyewear has evolved now where it's almost like an accessory and a 
already used my husband before. I think we, we recorded, but he's bald. So he's like, you know, I don't have hair to accessorize. Sure. So glasses are my jam. Um, so I think that's a kind of an interesting trend. I'm not sure if you're feeling that as well. It's not it's not just about sight. Um, but yep. I do think what's interesting about being in this sector, too, is that there is this health and wellness component. So, you know, your vision getting worse or I, most people's vision is not getting better. But there's also that to deal with. Do you have exam in your stores now? We don't have exams yeah. in any of our stores. Okay. Um, you know, we've always just been expert stylists and expert opticians. That for me is also like... I don't know, like I was never good in school and it was cool that I could have a customer come in and we would talk about things that we were both interested in, whether it's music, art, fashion, whatever. And then I was also an expertise when it expert when it came to speaking about the science of optics. So right. we would spend an hour together talking about a, a new movie or a new album or something that came out. But then when it got time to do the prescription, they would ask me questions that I knew the answer to. And that felt really good. They were like, it's sci- it's a science. So right. no, we don't, we don't have exams, but we, you know, we consider ourselves excellent stylists and, and excellent um, opticians. We right. can troubleshoot, you know, like a better, you know, I don't, it's not the prettiest analogy, but like a really good pharmacist is basically what we are. Right. Like a luxury <laughs> pharmacist. Right. No, no, no. And by the way, I, it's almost, I, you know, obviously that you can see is important, but the design, as you said, it's something sure. that you put on your face is, is so important. You mentioned, I think you have three titles. Well, two of founders. Yeah. Right. What uh, of, well, if we only take two of those so founders founder what what is your your favorite of the two i mean my passion is creative direction i might i'm a i'm a creative mm-hmm. at heart but you know a company can be led by a creative i think the ceo role is important to me too i i just i love being able to it's important to me that the, the company is a reflection and, and of of me and i've always wanted to sort of control the the environment and make sure that it's a reflection of who I am. So whatever role that is, I mean, that could be the founder role, um, but whatever contributes to that. But then personally, that just that whole creative part of, you know, the marketing direction and the design direction and communication of the brand, even, you know, today in this setting, like, I just I enjoy that. I, that's that feels natural to me, right? And um, it's certainly and it's connected. fun. Yeah, it's super fun. I just uh, that I get excited about next year's our ten year anniversary, and I've just been excited about it. And I'm excited to go live with it all in January and kind of roll out that plan. So I think the question was most important to me. I mean, probably probably most important to my personal happiness would be the creative, but um, you know. Being in charge of of the company's culture is super important to me too. Amazing, amazing. Digging a little deeper. So you've talked so much about and it's so cool because I think kind of people learn almost everything from retail when they have a retail space. What's the customer experience when you go into one of your stores? Um, Very warm and welcoming. We greet, make sure we greet everyone, but um, it's also evolved so much. It, it was way easier uh, 10 years ago to engage someone coming in. Now they might have their headphones in and they don't want to talk to anybody. So, you know, you really have to be aware and you know sensitive and just great communicators. But de- no matter what, we will always be warm and acknowledge people, but especially millennials, they've, they've done their homework. So, and they, you know, they don't want to waste any time in some cases. So you just got to try to feel out what they know, you know, you're going to figure out 
what they're looking for. And if it's something specific is a question that we'll typically ask. Cause a lot of times it just is, they're just like, Oh, I, I've already looked online and I have the Hampton, I want the Hampton. And I, they're like, no more than you. Right. You, sometimes. You know, you're like, wow. Okay. <laughs> I know. Isn't it funny how, right. and it's like going to the doctor, you've already self-diagnosed exactly. yourself. So yeah. yeah. And it, it has certainly changed. I'm actually really relieved like that there isn't a Garrett Light handbook. Like, you know, when they come in, we say, to, yeah. you know, and I don't, get that feeling having been in the store. I do think, I, I don't know what store New York was, if it was your second, but um, third. third, I definitely didn't know I was going in just on Discovery and being a retail nerd. And um, they also had to, you know, educate me. I think I wasn't that customer who was like, I need that. Right. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I, I looked around um, and you said it's changed now because people know it, but still no real playbook to the customer experience. No, there's like a conceptual playbook for like, creating the team in terms of having diversity and that variance of, of people and personalities. I may, I like to make sure that we can speak to the various people that might come into the store, just like a wealth of knowledge about interesting things. But not everybody that comes in is going to have a great experience because maybe that person's new. We hired the wrong person. You know, like I've gotten that before. I've been like, oh, no, my friend, <laughs> like they had a bad experience. That person's new, you know, but like, right, right. So it's not like 100 percent seamless. But oh. like, yeah, I mean, hiring great retail people is super important and extremely challenging. And it's, um, you know, we have a handful that have been with the company like seven years plus and some that seem to be tracking towards that and some that, you know, there's some turnover. So like, it's like, it's a, it's so hard. It's so hard. And uh, so I hard. think, you know, it used to be, I'm not sure if this percentage had changed and it gives me goosebumps when I say it, that there was a hundred percent changeover in retail. So the fact that you've had some people who've worked for you for seven years on the front yeah. lines, on the floor is, is really interesting. Um, and I love that you've worked diversity into I'm kind of in my mind, I'm imagining it's like you kind of have to be a hipster, but you have to be a little renaissance. You got to know a little bit about everything. I feel like, like <laughs> for some reason, like the ones that have been with this longest and I've heard listen to this and like the word's not failed, but it's like creatives that haven't quite made it like we have like our best retail employees are like they really want to be photographers or really want to be artists or really want to be musicians. And it's just so challenging to make it as a successful musician. And they picked up and you make good money in optics. You can, right. especially in a commission based thing. Yeah. And it probably goes back to that thing of being really smart at like sign at like the optics of it. Yeah. And I mean, if, if, yeah, if, if anybody's listening, cares about maybe a little formula for it is like, I, I've just found that people that have, bit of like creative in them typically are make for good retail and last a little longer. I agree. Because I think unless they make it big as a musician. Right. <laughs> well, and I, I think I used to even call it like creative envy. So like, you know, again, I think it's a little bit like if you can't be the bride, maybe be a wedding planner, sure. um, but you're close to it. You're around it. You dig it. You understand and it. You're on um, the front line. Like you are the face of the brand. Really. Right. Right. Um, and you've got some personality to kind of back it up. Um, sure. That is, I've never heard that before, but that is a very interesting <laughs> nugget. <laughs> Anybody who's in um, retail sales who has to hire is like, yeah. ear, ear to the wall on that one. It's a plus if they are, in, if they have a creative, yeah. Um, any, you know, on, you know, Warby has done a lot of interesting things on the customer experience. On the operation side, I think that we're generally, you know, happy, you know, ha happy to see you, our little, you know, some of our taglines. Um, we have done some things, you know, operationally, technology side of it, you know, to make stores, and we have a lot of them, right. kind of function smoothly. So outside of kind of your sales ambassadors, who frankly sound like rock stars, and you really get 
gave them a nice, nice lead in there. Um, Are you doing other things? And I think there's this big conversation today about, you know, retail and innovation getting all mashed up. And we've sometimes come full circle and we're like, no, it's still just retail. (laughs) So what side of the the camel's hump are you falling on? Uh, We've read about it. Um, (laughs) I hope it's the next stage for us. We've done little things, mostly with stores that aren't performing how we'd want where we have maybe like counters to see like how many people walked in and what our conversion rates are. Um, but I know that there's even enhanced technologies beyond that to really understand your customer and who's coming in and what they're looking for and where they came from and all those things that we don't really do as much. You know, I, I, I'm a bit, I'm not a traditional thinker, but I have a tradi- more traditional experience from my my background. So building out what we've talked about and doing doing it well is the hard part, but, but the idea of it is kind of came naturally and it comes from my family about just creating a great in-person experience without the technology. Um, so we're not really participating in, in probably some of those things that you could share or have shared before. Um, but I, I hope it's the next stage because, you know, um, getting the data, it just, it just helps you, it just helps you increase the experience much, you know, for, for the customer that I spoke about, right. the one that wasn't there 10 years ago that, that already, They've already done half the work, you know. If if anything could help us know that would, be, yeah, it would just it would, it would make everybody you just more operational excellence is what right, it is. Right. You know, your your sales go up and everything's just more seamless. So, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, it's definitely the future. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and you, we said you started in retail first, but I'm assuming there was a Garrett Light website that was going on at the same time because we're talking about folks who did their research and then came into the store. I mean, we're going back to the beginning. Yeah. There was no the there e-commerce wasn't. came to you. I mean, there was a web, there was a holding page, but it was. Um, <laughs> you're, e- you're being very. <laughs> yeah. E-commerce was 2012 and it was one year after. We okay. We it one year after. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, there, at first it was like, I guess, just more exclusive, I guess. We just really were like retail and wholesale. Very and fun. Then, I mean, it was also like. There was no money. Like it just was me and whatever money. I mean, I just did, I did everything I could do until I couldn't do it anymore. And then I hired and then I was able to, I was thinking about all the ideas. I just couldn't execute them all by myself. Right. And I think that's an entrepreneur's dilemma in many ways always. So it was more just a product of that. And um, it's a huge reason why we're so big in Europe is that that was the business that came to me first. And I, it took my entire being building that team. Like we have a distribution center and and a warehouse that we created with 15 employees in Amsterdam, 20 reps. And like the U S market from a wholesale perspective had to wait like four or five years. I just couldn't get it all done. Right. So yeah, the e-commerce came about a year and a half after the retail and wholesale experience. And because you were really born out of retail, how is the retail and e-commerce working with each other. I mean, yeah, we just, we just became, we're fully omni-channel January 1st and, you know, we were integrating our ERP system and, and retail and experience and, and e-commerce and digital experience all together. Um, and we're trying to make it as seamless and as, you know, up to date as, as possible, but we need help for sure. Digital is, is, is an area of weakness for us, but we're, we're, it's definitely a huge initiative for us and, and trying to elevate that experience even more so to make sure that the UX and the UI is like completely, you know, everything's talking to everything. Yes. I totally get it. But so, so unique that the the retail came first to the physical retail came first. Yeah. 
Excellent. So we always on the show have a tradition of breaking bread with our guests. Uh, it's a great way to kind of learn something about you and, uh, you know, just get to know you personally. So it appears as if you've brought a snack. I'd love to hear I about did. the story behind it. And, sure. uh, and then we'll break some bread. You caught me when I am on a cleanse. So I'm like on the wagon, 30 days, Woo. no gluten, no dairy, no alcohol. So um, my snacks are that. They're healthy, which is super Californian, right? And on brand. Yes. Um, but there's some pressed juice, um, fresh squeezed pressed juice, and there's chips and salsa pretty much. Excellent. Um, so I hope that's okay. That's true. If I'm... I wasn't on it, it would have been tequilas and tacos. <laughs> <laughs> um, I love that. I do have to ask because you know this is um, any reason for the cleanse. Uh, I've so I've just now never people done do one. it. Oh, really? Okay. So I just yes. felt like late to the party. Okay. What day are you on? Thirty. Today's thirty. Oh my goodness! Wow. <laughs> today's, today's one feel... month. Today's one month. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I had a, I had a lot of travel this September, and I had a little ear infection that was quite painful. Not painful, uncomfortable. Yeah. And that's kind of what started it. I was like, I should take care of myself. Yes. So those international, yeah, those international trips really are like so exhausting. I've been doing it for 10 years and this one just got the best of me in terms of flu and health or whatever I had. So that kind of triggered it. Um, but yeah, I've had like, you know, one week cleanses. This one I'm like fully in. So that's, Excellent. Yeah, that's where the, the inspiration for the snack. I, I'm, I'm all for it. I'm fighting a little something. So I've had oh, it as some press juice, oh, but I'm gonna, yeah, I, I will have more. Okay. <laughs> Excellent. Next up, you'll hear Garrett talk about location, competition, and design. Keep in touch on Instagram and Facebook at Mouth Media Network. And find prior episodes wherever the best podcasts are found. So as you know, I'm a little bit of I'm a retail nerd, but I'm also a little bit of a retail real estate nerd and I think about it and talk about it quite a bit. So I'm always interested in how people made decisions about their locations, what locations are next. I'd love to hear about um, how you made some of those decisions and, and what's next. Um, so the very first location, which was opened 10 years ago tomorrow, November 6, 2009. Woohoo! Um, was on Abbott Kinney and that was because that's where I'm from and I had just I had graduated college, moved back to my home and which was Venice. And there was just this like movement happening on Abbott Kinney of just like a certain generation of people creating a certain type of thing. And there was great restaurants and it was just where we went to hang and I just felt like it was, you know, that main thing of solving a problem there was no optician on the street it was it was that simple it was just i want to start my own business and this neighborhood doesn't have a good optician like the same way referencing my dad oliver peoples in sunset plaza in 1986 you know they they provided something that the community needed and they did it well and that was all i wanted to do so um when i ran that by my dad he loved he wanted me to do my thing, but he his opinion was that, you know, Abbott Kinney's always been on the cusp of being cool since I was a kid and it's always it's too dangerous over there. It's never quite made it. But I don't know. I just was like part of that whatever community, like 
hipster millennial, whatever. We were like in our twenties and we were all creatives and it wasn't as you could see the gentrification happening. And, right. And, right. But it takes a while, which I think is really interesting. It does take a while. It's been going on. It's, still going on. I live on the Lower East Side and it, we're still rounding it out. There's not a ton of retail, right. but I have definitely walked on Bowery, which, you know, yeah. was, and you can get a $25 fancy cocktail on mm -hmm. the Bowery now. Which is never it, No, not out of a Mr. Boston vodka bottle. Right. You know? So it, it's, it is incredible, but it takes time and yeah. you had the, the foresight. So we did that. We opened our store and we've never had a zero day in 10 years. It's just that street is magical and we were a part of the community. Like I was in the store every day. Um, How many other retailers were there 10 years ago? Cause I mean, the street was full of retailers, but it okay. was more about the range. There was probably like 10 of us that all opened in 2009. Mm -hmm. um, there was probably 40 people that had been there like forever. Right, right. That's now <laughs> down to like five. Right. And then there was just, you know, restaurants and bars and, I just uh, – there was like this baby store connected to Jelena, which is like the restaurant in Babbitt Kinney and I knew all the waiters and the chef and everybody and they were actually the landlords and I was like, I need that spot because there was this courtyard attached and it was perfect. Anyways, I got that spot and you know the rest is history and then um, – you know, that's how we chose our first location. Then I felt like I needed a flagship because that store wasn't even called Garrett Light. It was actually called some uh, Abbott Kinney Courtyard because I didn't have Garrett Light when I first launched. Mm -hmm. It was just like this multi-category. We had shoes, books, music, and mostly we were opticians selling a variety of glasses. Then we introduced our collection, and then we opened a big, bigger flagship Garrett Lights around La Brea, um, which is still there and does great. And then we kind of simultaneously in 2015 did San Francisco on Hayes and Soho in New York. Hayes, I'm a Californian. I know my, I went to school in central California. Like I know my, my state. And yeah. <laughs> like my brand is California optical. Like I, so that was like, I had friends in the Bay and I just knew that Hayes was, that was Ab the Abbot Kenny of the Bay area. And that performed really well right away. Soho was, I mean, honestly, like, I wanted to be in Soho, but and that was a cheaper neighborhood. I, I just couldn't afford it. Absolutely. And I had to have a Soho flagship. Right. Had to. It was just we're – we're a global brand. Like it was just – it had to. So it was more a product of what we could afford and then just trying to build a great space in Soho – in, and also, like, that was an emerging neighborhood. That's what real estate agents were telling me at the time. And I still think you're going to have an evolution there it hasn't on Grand fully Street. Changed it yet. has not fully changed, but to our Abbott Kinney conversation, right. like, it, the, it's an evolution. It's not a revolution when right. it comes to real estate. It's, right. It is crazy. If you're it, watching a pot boil, don't be staring at, you know, certain real estate. For sure. It'll take a while. So then we were at four, and then sort of an interesting story. You know, we were growing, everything was great. And um, I went, I wanted to look at sort of like a tertiary market, what I would consider basically outside of California and New York. <laughs> and I looked at many, I went to Chicago, I went to Austin, I went to Dallas, found a great space in Austin. I felt like that was going to be perfect, but it was a parking lot. And they were looking for funding, but we signed the lease while they were in the process of finding their funding to build the space. And it took forever. And I had allocated sort of the money to build a retail store in 2016. And I decided to spend that money that I had allocated for that experience because I knew that Austin was going to be a while on Dallas. I chose Dallas over Chicago, whatever, all the other places that I had seen, Miami. And long story short, that didn't work out. Um, Austin finally is open. It's opening in a week. It's it's been open for six weeks, soft open. It's officially open on the 11th. 
um, or we're announcing it and it's been doing fantastic. So that's I, I encouraging. It's totally our customer. Yeah. And I knew that. Hitting it out of the park. But for two years, you know, we had to like figure out Dallas. And ultimately in the end, I just decided that we couldn't afford the risk of what I think it would take to make that market work better. And it was just honestly just in our best interest to just close those doors. I just It just wasn't our consumer. And, and mitigating risk is half the battle. I will say this. Um, do you ever have a really good friend and they're super intelligent and then you're watching them watch like Bravo or something and yeah. you're looking at the side of their head and you're like, what is going on in there? Exactly. So I have to do this to you on why Dallas over Chicago. Like you've named some hot real estate, even if you didn't go specific. I thought Dallas people – they do actually. I think they cared about fashion. Like they want to look. They at least they want to tell their friend. They want to have the it thing. They do. For me, Chicago felt a little less like that. I felt like a little less more about tech or value. Less. It about is the Midwest. Fashion. Yeah, without Midwest. putting anybody down. <laughs> right. It just didn't seem like they would be that frivolous to spend on a brand they didn't know, and uh-huh. that you be a little harder to affect the community at our price point than say like a Dallas where if we could somehow, you know, find the right people that it could catch fire a little bit because people really care about their image and what people think about them mm-hmm. um, through what they wear. Right. And that's kind of why I chose Dallas. Um, you know, I spend some time in Seattle. My wife's from Seattle. I love Seattle, but that's also like low key, which I... maybe might fit us more under the radar. I don't know. We're not opening in Seattle. <laughs> But um, <laughs> there's not a hint there on where the expansion yeah, is going. Right. Okay. And then Miami felt really label driven. Um, so interesting because, you know, Warby has a storm Winwood, and that was kind of that uh, going to the market, go to the new, cool, kind of crusty space. Warby, you know, lives on that kind of branding. Right. So, so I'm super curious about Winwood as well, but we chose Dallas. Yeah. Um, it's under construction right now, all of Winwood. Yeah, so, no, yeah, like exactly. Yeah. I knew it was a risk when we went there. I just thought we, it could, we can make it happen, and it just didn't work out for us. And that's fine. It was a great, really good learning lesson. Um, and, you know, we did what we had to do, and we weren't, we didn't shy away from it. We announced it, you know, on our social media and explained it, and didn't, it's not anybody's fault. Right. It just exactly. is what it is, and we just had to do what we had to do. And now we took the some of the fixtures from that space, saved a bunch of money on opening the Austin store and sort of reallocated the stuff for the Austin store. And and honestly, Austin's been it's been three weeks or maybe six weeks now, but it's been great. Like it's sales every day, good weekends, there's always events happening. It's totally our customer. Uh it feels really good. I think it's really encouraged and then our Dallas staff moved to Austin. So we didn't have to train. They were great. It was yeah. the foot trap. There was just right. nobody coming in. Right. So and then just the daily emails coming through and just being able to be like, great. I, like, it just, I think everybody just, it's, it's just, it was such a good decision. Yeah. And it remains to be seen because it's only six weeks old, but I think it just feels, it was just, Dallas was just bringing down the, the, right. you know, the happiness. It, yeah. And it would also be really, you know, interesting. We just talked to somebody else this morning and I said, you know, what are the pain points? And they could say, hey, we're first in the category. We're amazing. We've never made any mistakes. And she certainly didn't say that. Right. So I think it's a, a relief that, you know, to know every store you open isn't going to be gangbusters no. and some of them are not even going to make it. And retail is complicated as anything. Sure. Um, so. That's where the technology and then data and knowing where your customer is can help a lot. Absolutely. Some are easy, like like Austin, Hayes, Abbott, Kinney. It's kind of – Right. Uh, yeah. People say, well, you know, your first 10 stores, it's kind of like shooting fish in a bucket. And I right. wouldn't even say first 10, maybe even just first five right. because then you're right. You are looking at these second-tier markets, if you will. And as we start to look at that, I think 
just for next locations, like uh, there's places that I'm curious about where I think I won't make the decision without a better strategy in terms of knowing the data. Like I've never been in Nashville, but I've heard, you know, that it feels like it fits the, it's like an Austin thing. So it's just more about, I want to make sure we have the right tools in place to make a more educated decision next time. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it is, it's funny. It's, there's that quantitative, there's all that data, but then there's also this qualitative, go and sit outside of it, watch the traffic, go a couple times a day. Like it sounds so old school, but it's so. I'm not sure how I missed that one on Knox Henderson in Dallas, but also it wasn't just me. Like there's an Aesop store there. No. There was an outdoor voices store there. There's a no, stag like yeah. I, me and like nine other people missed that. And right. I know they're not doing well either. Like, <laughs> like, we're in Dallas too, not there. So I totally get it. You're I down mean, on Henderson. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah, so. I think. Do you, do you want to reveal anything about where you might be going next or there just there are other stores coming? I, um, yeah, sure. I think <laughs> Uh, Silver Lake is supposed to deliver November 15th. Okay. Um, so that's very, very soon. And Austin, we will announce on the 11th, but it's been open, as I mentioned. And then Toronto next year. And that's it. Uh, I mean, there's dreams, but that's the only thing that are inked. (laughs) We'll keep the wish list. uh, Yeah. Toronto will be our first international store. Amazing. Um, Just we have a great partner out there and it's been a great Canada has been really good for us, actually. I I believe it. And if you go to Toronto, which I've spent some time in there, you know, their infrastructure is being built. It's like it's building. It's happening. It's the capital over there. Eyewear is a, a crowded market, and I, I'm fascinated, even though I work in it, on kind of how competitive it is and how, you know, more than one brand certainly can exist out there. What's your kind of your take on uh, on the overall market? There is a lot of eyewear out there, yeah. competitors. I It's very competitive, um, but I do love that we do so well in the, in the physical brick-and-mortar space. I don't feel that the retail competitors are – Great. Like, I think Warby Parker is an excellent retail experience. Um, I think All Our People's is a very good one as well, and they have dozens. Um, but then, and then there's us. And then for me, that for my money, there's not, there's a bunch of little ones here and there. Um, there's some of like, I don't want to like give free press. <laughs> but, <laughs> but you don't have to, by the way. I mean, yeah. Like, well, I don't really care. There's Sea Optical, which is <laughs> right. in a few good places, and they're more of a value buy. They don't really have – it's not. Des- I don't think design is their thing, but it's more value. Right, right. Um, and in the digital space, there's just t- tons. And right. also in the wholesale. Like you go to one of these trade shows. Right. I mean, I don't even know. There's thousands. I, I've it's never been, but the I've eyes must, seen them. Yeah. It's crazy. Um, so – I don't know. That's why retail to me is like where I want to focus our efforts because um, – and, and digital. But I think part of being successful on the re- digital level will be, having, will be creating the best retail experience, at least at the luxury price point. Um, so that's sort of my take on the competitors. And personally, I've always had the mentality of like business helps business. I've never been into the exclusive thing. Like I get that, but – like I sell my Garrett like glasses to a few wholesalers that are near my store and I'm like just it's gonna come down to whoever gives the better experience. That's no problem. Doesn't bother me. Right. You can right. be down the street from me. You wanna carry it, that's up to and, you. Yep. And to the point who's in the space, I also think then you jump down either to really the local local guy who right. I don't think you're gonna put out of business, or like the lens crafters. And right. then there's what's living in between. Online I think is a whole nother that's a whole nother world. A whole nother ball game. Yeah. But um, yeah, I think if it's a competition of who can create the best experience, at least in the retail space, I'm like, I'm down for that. You know, I'm down for that competition. I think we're really good at it. So um, I welcome it. And and I think, yeah, the business, business helps business. And, and, and um, 
and, and, and our, 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 our value proposition would be our design. Right. Know? Exactly. Which is so – because, you know, I think Warby's value proposition is certainly more kind of cost-effective and, and yours is on design. And I yeah. think, um, you know, anybody in there where I – you feel like you're bumping up against or you're really kind of – your customer is going for you mean in terms of design competition mm-hmm. i mean yeah there's there's great design brands for sure that are in the same price point and the quality is amazing and they're using incredible factories and um they have an interesting point of view and um i mean for better or worse you know our biggest competitor really is all of our peoples that's and and, and that's where i learned my design aesthetic and right. where that where we're all about timeless classics great design original design that lasts forever and nobody does that better than op and us um but then th- there's other brands that are also great and make great product and their focus is design and design quality um yeah i mean it's fashion it's right. yeah, there's right. more than you know one voice there so yeah right that everybody can coexist, which I think is is really true and and cool. Up next, we're going to get to know Garrett up close and personal. Hi, I'm John Matson. I'm one of the hosts of Travel Is Your Business, and if you're interested in what's going on behind the scenes within the travel industry, you have to check out this show. We cover everything from the aviation industry to hospitality, hotels and accommodations, even in-destination and touristic experiences. If you work within the travel industry, this is an important resource for you. You'll hear from not only executives and leaders within the industry, but also new innovations and technologies that are coming to market right now. And if you're not in the travel industry, you're going to gain insights that help you connect with a traveler and their experience to advance your career. So come along for the ride. You can listen and subscribe to Travel Is Your Business wherever the best podcasts are found. Couple of questions. I, we know you're. Uh, were you born and raised in Venice? Yes. Okay. Born and raised. Um, I see some olive tones in your skin. What is your background? Um, yeah, my uh, mother is Mexican. And my father's Jewish, but we're Sephardic, so a little bit more skin tone there. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, do those influences come into the house? Mexican culture is a huge part of me, for sure. Uh-huh. Um, my wife says that when we're in Mexico, I just completely transform. And it's true. I'm like fluent Spanish-speaking there. Are you really amazing? I'm not. I'm not. But, <laughs> but when I'm there, right. I'll it just get organically, whatever like, right. need I can do. Yeah. Um, it's funny how it kind of thrives in people. Like my husband's half Italian, half Irish, but he's really so much more mm-hmm. Italian. Yeah. So I'm pretty Jewish too, though. I think <laughs> uh, we're Lithuanian Jews to give you a, a country of origin. But yeah. So in the household, I mean, yeah. It doesn't. It doesn't. Mostly through food and culture, not not any other way. Um, my daughter's actually in a Mandarin immersion program, but we they have a Spanish one, and I'm like, I don't regret it because I think it's really important. I think Mandarin's a great language to learn, but like the, there was the Spanish class walking by, I was like, damn, I'm not <laughs> learning that. We should be learning that. Right. Looking to the future, I mean, Spanish or Mandarin would probably be really important, but sure, that's yeah. that's very cool. Um, so we talked about you having three titles, so you're probably pretty busy. Um, I think it's kind of a New York City thing, but I think it's just a world thing now hobbies anything you do in your free time do you mm-hmm. really shut down we're always kind of interested in this and in well, i make free time there you go have to make it <laughs> have it um kids really help with that though because they force you to kind of not be all about work um, um but they're not a hobby 
Um, Make that clear. Yes, yeah, they are not a hobby. Um, I golf. I try to golf every other week. Um, I actually have a fun little league that I started with some local Venice guys that we play once a month at Penn March. It's like nine local local course, nine holes, and competitive and casual and fun. Um, and I do a bunch of Eastern kind of stuff like uh, acupuncture and um, meditation and get a massage. I don't think that's Eastern, but <laughs> maybe it is. <laughs> well, it goes in the self-care category, which yeah. I think sometimes self-care. people leave all of that off their roster. So right. it's nice to um, hear. Um, my husband loves golf, so I know a thing about it. How do you – it's 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 really, really hard. I think people don't know that. And um, Golf? Yeah, and so really hard. challenging. You're, you're kind of playing against yourself a lot of the time. Which is awesome. That's what I what, love about it. What do you think it's taught you? It's taught me a lot about my sort of stick-to-itiveness, like my, how determined I am to achieve something that I'm passionate about. Um I have more resolve than I give myself credit for because it's so difficult. <laughs> it is. It would be um, easy just to throw those clubs. It's also taught me like uh, – it's kind of reminds me that how kind of good I am at communicating and bringing people together. Like I'm a great foursome person. Like I, No matter the personalities, I find a way to make the group have fun and no matter how bad someone's playing. I f- like to think that people are like want to play with me. So, so interesting. Um, in that sense too, I think it's been good for me. It's taught, it definitely, yeah, it's a crazy game. Yeah, it is. And it's, I like that it's personal, but I, I love that because I'm competitive, but I don't like to blame things on other people because in a team sport, like it sometimes is not your fault. And I feel bad about that. Like I like when it's all on me. I like that pressure. I want it to be all on me. Very nice. And there is a social component, which I also think is really nice. I, yeah. I don't think... People are necessarily going out and playing golf and talking about business, but there's also a part of business where you should get to know each other. Yeah. Excellent. Really interesting. Thank you so much for coming in and being on the show. It was great. If um, people want to get in touch with you for whatever various reasons, you've got a lot going on. What's the best way to find you? I mean, LinkedIn's a really good source. I mean, I have you just go to Garrett Light, and I'll, I'm in the direct message there, or uh, or Instagram. I I probably spend way too much time on Instagram, so um, both of those will come to me. But Instagram is Garrett Light underscore C A. Perfect. My name is Rebecca Fitz. This is Retail Is Your Business. Thanks for listening. This has been Retail Is Your Business, produced by Mouth Media Network. Copyright 2019. Your brand message can be on this show. Email us to find out more at podcast at mouthmedianetwork.com. Thank you for listening. This is Mouth Media Network. Amplify and connect. Connect.